Good evening, everyone. Looking forward to this evening and uh, hearing from Tim Thomas. Guess Tim was here. I, I'm, I'm thinking it was about two years ago. He couldn't quite remember. Um, but I'm looking forward to hearing from you again, Tim. From Pickens, South Carolina. So um, we're, we're glad you accommodated us in this last, last couple weeks here with this change of plans and everything. Appreciate your flexibility, and, and we're happy the way things have worked out for this week. Um, for a little bit there, we weren't quite sure how it would all work out. So, um, And as far as announcements, I think Doug might have mentioned we do have an offering this evening. We'll lift that during uh, a little short break. I don't know if Doug told you. We can take a couple-minute break about halfway through. I'm not going to give you a uh, – unless you want a reminder. But to let people stand up and get a drink and just – because of the length of time. Doug, I think I'm forgetting something. Oh, the, the, the panel discussion, yes. So um, Mark is going to be our fourth panelist. And you can start submitting your questions anytime. The, um, you know, the sooner the, uh, the panelists have their questions, the more time they have to think about those questions. So if you have questions or, uh, or things you would like to see brought up, for Thursday evening, go ahead, get them to Doug or I. We would appreciate that. Or any suggestions, it can be verbally too. So Tim, why don't you come up this time and we'll turn it over to you. He didn't say a title. I told him to put in there uh, business ethics for beaches. No, uh, I, I, the, the schedule the last year has been uh, really, really tough. And, uh, and between, between AF stuff and, and general problems in the Amish Mennonite world and home issues and family issues and things, you know, had different challenges there. So I just really had to really have gotten real careful watching any getting talked into any extracurricular speaking engagements. But when Paul, uh, Paul was sick and, and he was just really, and you know, Paul was feeling really bad that he just, you know, his doctors had told him and his family told him, you know, Dad, you gotta, you can't go. And he felt really bad for you all, so, so he was trying to make the rest of us feel bad. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he happened to know. He said, hey, I know, you know a couple of you are going to be in the area this such and such a week. Uh, this is two weeks ago, whenever it was. He said, hey, would you, could you do it? I was like, no. I said, I, got, I, I just got to say no. But, and he, uh, I said, so well, where, what is it and where are you speaking? And he said, uh, 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 yeah, he said he's going to be here at Peckway. And I thought, ah, all right. Uh, no, I say that because I, I just wanted to let you know I, I really enjoyed my time with you all a couple years ago. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't have done this for just anybody, all right? This isn't for Ben, by the way. All right, no, it's for the rest of you all. <laughs> no, uh, 
but yeah, I really enjoyed my time uh, when I when I was with you there a couple of years ago, and uh, uh, appreciated. You know, sometimes when I go speak, there's uh, for for me for me because I'm a little different. That you know, it just you know, you just it just takes a while for people to go and to grasp what you're trying to get at, and uh, and just really, it's just the passion for God, the passion for the Word. And just really, and just, you know, uh, a lot of you just seem to get it. I really appreciated the comments that some of you sent me, you know, a long time after I was here. And I really appreciated that. And I, yeah, I just wanted to say I really appreciated my time with you all. Uh, uh, felt very comfortable. That's why I can crack Beachy jokes here. And, uh, uh, yeah, I just uh, bless you, O Lord our God, King of the Universe, for the opportunity to be with you here again. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Uh, so you got me, you didn't get Paul, okay? Sorry, but uh, Paul would be very polished. Uh, I know he was doing some thinking uh, for a while about it. Paul would have a nice fancy PowerPoint up and all that, but uh, uh, again, my weeks have been stacked and uh, just kind of spurred of the moment. And we had our Bible school, by the way, last week at at our church, home church, uh, and uh, and so, you know, I just kind of knew, I, I just told him, say, hey, I'm just going to speak kind of out of my heart, off the top of my head, and, and this is going to be more on the reality. I'm not going to give it you a, a lot of uh, business, secular reasoning here. Um, I'm going to, I want to speak you, to you more from the heart of uh, this is what I deal with, and even through the work at AF, every day of the week. We get into a lot of these discussions. Uh, and it's a difficult subject. Uh, and so I just want to say up front, uh, I think if you remember me, or maybe you blocked that out of your mind, uh, maybe it was a nightmare, so you blocked it out. Uh, but I. Uh, I, I don't want to waste time here. We're going to dive right into it. But please take what I say charitably. I, everybody has a situation, and the type of things we talk about in business ethics, they're real things that don't have easy answers. All right? So some, I'll give you my perspective. Mainly, though, I just want you to think about you. I want you to think about you, your relationship with God, and see if you can see your way through these things through God's eyes. All right, so please don't be offended. Uh, I was kind of speaking some generalities. I'll make some more blanket statements, but that doesn't, need, I'm not, doesn't mean it necessarily fits your situation to a T. They're all different, okay? Uh, so, so that's kind of the apology ahead of time so I can say what I want to say. Uh, no. Uh, so... In, in the last, and uh, see, I looked at it uh, Saturday, I was thinking about it. In the last two weeks, it might be three weeks, in the last three weeks, I know we've had six specific loan applications at AF, where as, as they came through, uh, I looked at it with what they were asking, income won't support the debt. And so I, I me and another fellow, we glance at them as they come in, you know, I'll draw a few notes on them, and then, we sh and then we put them to a couple of guys that we have that contacts the client directly, works with them. Here's the exact story. But I'll put a few comments in there 
of uh, what I want to see or what I think, and I want the question answered. So when they come back recommending an approval or decline or whatever, I want that question answered. And so in these six cases, it was all fairly similar. It's like not enough income to support that kind of debt. It's a decline. You know, but go hear the story. Go find out there's something else. Now, this ain't my first rodeo. Uh, and doing this long enough, I looked at some of these tax returns. I was like, ding, ding, ding. I, I know what's going on here already. I can see it. Uh, this isn't all the reported income. And sure enough, six cases, they went and said, no, it's declined. You don't have enough income. Oh, no. Yeah, I do. That's not all my income. And, this, and I think to a person, every one of these was very innocent in the way they replied. It was, it, it didn't, they weren't embarrassed. They weren't, they, was like, they were just sincere. Oh, no, that's not all my income. All right, where is the rest of your income? Well, it was cash or whatever. Ways of hiding income, they're not reporting it to the government. That's a, got an ethical dilemma going on here. Uh, the simple answer, from my opinion, is so you lied to government, who says you won't lie to me? Why do I want to mess with that? All right. Um, yeah, it happens. So uh, taxes, taxes are, are an issue of uh, where we run into some ethical dilemmas here. Um, just uh, this last week at Bible school, I had a fella in, in our church, he does, uh, he builds utility sheds. I heard him having a conversation with another guy and he said uh, he's talking about the uh, city of Clemson and we're not too far from Clemson where Clemson University is and they are really tight on their on their permits and zoning and making sure everybody and you know and you got to remember I'm from South Carolina so some of the places in South Carolina there's not a whole lot of you know there there's not a lot of heavy uh, restrictions and you know, code and, and things uh, in some parts, uh, but they were just remarking, boy, in there you can't walk in. This is a shed builder, and he was saying technically for him to put a shed in somebody's backyard, they would have to get a per building permit, and they have to get, you know, everybody that touched that building has to be a licensed contractor, and they're going through all that kind of stuff. And he, I just overheard the remark of, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. If I'd have walked in there and just to stick this shed, it would have been tied up for weeks and the owner would have had gotten a bunch of money in it. Uh, you know, the unit would have to be, you know, engineered, stamped, engineered, all this stuff, you know, just for a little, you know, whatever it was, 8 by 12, 8 by 16 shed. And he said, it's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. So in other words, he went ahead and did it and let them fuss later. And I think they had 200 bucks settled it all. And then he didn't have all the hassle. Again, another uh, business uh, ethical d d dilemma you have there. Um, I'm sure this one uh, will, will hit close to home. Hits, uh, this is my own personal illustration. I got a rental house. And I need a rental house like I need another hole in the head. Um, I originally had bought it so that my aging mother and stepdad, that if they needed a place to get moved closer to me, I wanted a place, you know, there that they would be, you know, fairly close to us. And then also at the time, there's a young married couple in church needed a place to, uh, were looking for a place to rent when they were first married. So 
Uh, uh, hey, I'll, I'll go ahead and grab this. I can rent it to the young couple, and then I'll have something in case my, my mom and stepdad need a place. Anyhow, that was a number of years ago, and I'm, I'm done with it. Um, and, I, and I should preface this, you know, these ethical situations, uh, just thinking about this, you know, I got work to do. There's practical things. You can go anywhere. I chose a few things here. There's other places you can go where it probably challenges all of us. Okay, and again, hear me out here. I'm not saying there's a, I'm not going to give you total right and wrongs. I may some things, say some things in my opinion. I might say some things that I think aren't right, but, but I want you to get to thinking. And this, this situation really got me to things. So I got this rental house, and the, the, the couple from church had, had uh, uh, moved, moved away then. Uh, and so another renter came along right away and said, hey, and they knew the couple at the bottom of the hill from the place. Uh, and uh, she was actually a police officer in the neighboring town, was getting transferred to Pickens. Uh, so that's why they were moving, perfect timing. It was like a month. I didn't even have time to go in and fix a, fix a leaky faucet. And it was like, hey, great, go ahead. Nice young couple, you know, 25 probably at the time, 26, and she was going to be an a officer in, in Pickens. Uh, a couple years, about two years down the road, uh, she started living with another officer, and they broke up. Uh, he, was, uh, yeah, he was a former military in Afghanistan, uh, had, some, was, had been diagnosed with PTSD, and definitely through the breakup, had some you know, emotional issues, had a slight heart attack. This is all the stuff he was telling. But anyhow, short story is, over the next three years, I got probably four months rent. Now, any of you that are landlords know you don't want to deal with that issue. What do you deal with that, what do you do with that issue? All right, again, I'm not going to say there's a right or wrong way to deal with this, but this is what was interesting. Is as I talked about it with different people, I think almost to a person, the response was, oh, yeah, you got to run it like a business. Get them out of there. Do whatever you got to do to, you know, evict them. You got to, you know, file the notice. Of course, it depends what your contract says. There are certain things in there, but, but definitely, oh, you got to run it like a business. No, you can't, you know. That's what every single person told me was advice. I struggled with that. Here I've been trying to talk to this guy, I've been trying to witness to this guy, uh, get involved in his life, and I was like, how can I do that? How can I get, how, how can I just evict him? Uh, of course, he would say nice things, but he said nice things for years, you know, this had gone on and on, and, but I still remember last fall, it kind of came to a head. I was, I mean, obviously after all this time, yeah, I'm like, you know, wow, I got to do something. And so it was about hunting season down there, and I was going to go, the, the property that's with the rental house, I was going to, my, my one younger daughter likes to hunt, and uh, so I was going to put in a little food plot. I was over there with the tractor, and my intent was when I saw him, I was going to tell him, hey, you got to get out. And I was going to get stern with him. I was up there on the hill, uh, bush hogging a little, little spot up there in the clearing. And then I hear, I saw somebody walking through the woods. And I thought, oh, here, he's coming up. Good. 
So I didn't talk to him. But as he got closer and I kind of got the tractor and shut the tractor down, and he's, so I realized it wasn't my renter. It was somebody else. Okay, I wonder who this guy is. So he came, came over and to the tractor and he said, hey, he, said, he asked me, are you, are you Mr. Thomas? I said, yeah. Uh, and his head just kept just down and he didn't want to look at me. He said, hey, I just, I want to come and apologize. And I was like, okay, what are you apologizing for? He said, uh, he said, I've been down at the house, you know, this is like 10 o'clock maybe. He said, I've been down at the house for you know, a couple of hours. I heard you out here. He said, and said, my conscience just kept bothering me. Finally, I just had to come up and say something to you. He said, I'm a friend of Dustin's, my renter. He said, and Dustin really respects you and has told me all about how you've treated him and what you've done for him the last couple of years. And he said, last week, he said, I went back up here in the woods and I cut a cherry burl. You know what a cherry burl is? But I cut part of the tree out. He likes to do carving and knife handles and stuff. And I cut it out and took it and I know that's stealing and I just wanted to come apologize to you. Said, because I know how much Dustin thinks of you and what you've done for him. You want to talk about getting smitten in the spirit because I was just fixing to let Dustin have it. Just had enough. <laughs> you know what, every situation is different. But the, the biggest thing in this issue is what, what is what is our attitudes? We do a lot with uh, at AF. We do a lot with uh, you know some mini barns and stuff like that. Uh, of course, you know every single Mennonite Amish community. There's got to at least be three or four barn builders uh, all around the country. I mean, you'd, you'd think we'd be covered head to toe in mini barns uh, over the surface of the U.S. by now. But uh, uh, one thing we don't do is get into the RTO at all. Because the one issue is, you know, we, we can't uh, control how they do it, all right? So we may get involved in real estate or the manufacturing, you know, a building. We don't get involved in any kind of RTO. But I often just as a, well, it usually comes up because they ask us. And then I usually ask them, what's your policy? How, how, how do you repo these sheds? A lot of the answer is we have somebody else, a third party, do the repo. Oh, why? Well, you can get into some sticky situations. Oh, so you make somebody else do it. And for a lot of them, honestly, it's their way of getting around the question. And their attitude, frankly, stinks. Because they know if the way that it has to be done in the industry, again, it's, well, it's, you gotta run it like a business, all right? And so you got to do it this way. You can't offer RTO and have these people not paying, right? Because the type of people you're often RTOing to are the ones that are going to have some questionable repayment history. So you can't, I can't be in this business unless I do it, but I know it's not going to look good if I do, so I get somebody else to do it. Or for a lot of them, they do do it. You know, they have somebody there, you know, that's doing it. And, uh, yeah. But you ask them how, how they treat people, what, what's their process 
And I will say this, there's some very good ones that I really appreciate the way they do it. And if there's any hesitation, the people say they can't pay, they just leave it there. Okay, so there, there's some people there, but those people are looked down upon by the big business professional shed builders. Just go in and repo that thing. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dilemmas uh, that you, that you can get into here. Um, something here more recent here in, in the last, uh, last year, especially the last six months, what do you as a contractor do when you gave out a bid and now prices are way higher than what you bid on? That's a reality, right? What do you do with those things? Um, I've run into a number of people, yeah, we ask them about that and they, and they break the contract. Actually, we've had people that uh, you know, we loan money to to build a house, had a contract, and now their brother in the church broke the contract because prices are higher. If you got your Bible there, turn to Psalm 15.4. I think you probably know what this verse says. Fifteenth Psalm, verse four. In whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. So the question here is, okay, what is, what is good business ethics? Uh, one thing I did jot down that Paul uh, had sent me, he had a def definition, he put it like this, Christian business ethics have always been based on biblical principles of life and should be the logical expression of our faith. Christian business ethics have always been based on biblical principles of life and should be the logical expression of our faith. Let your nay be nay and your yea be yea. He that sweareth to his own heart. Why do you break a contract? Well, because it's going to hurt you. It's not working out. It didn't go like you thought. Something changed on you. So I wonder how, how do you apply how do you apply this verse to a number a number of these different situations? Christian business ethics have always been based on biblical principles of life and should be the logical expression of our faith. The logical expression of our faith. And I would assume that you all agree that your business is should be the logical expression of your faith, is it? I hope. What does that tell us about what our faith is? Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the logical expression of that. And that ye be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. So a Christian businessman is going to operate under a different set of rules than the world. Paul also wrote down here, Christians practicing godly business ethics 
are in a position to practice marketplace evangelism. Christians practicing godly business ethics are in a position to practice marketplace evangelism. Logically, then, it tells you if that Christian businessman is not practicing godly business ethics, he's going to hurt his ability to practice evangelism with those that he does business with. Uh, I liked your opening. Uh, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is a mouthful. Again, we don't understand today the names, God's name is so precious to God. And the first words there, as Jesus laid them out, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May everything I do bring honor and glory. May your name be revered because of me in my community. And so as I kick my renter out, does that bring reverence and praise and glory to God? All right, now I'm, I'm saying this kind of slow and hesitantly because I know this is tough, all right? And I'm not, I don't have all the answers, all right? I think there is a way to do business in the world. The main thing I want to focus on with you on, the, on tonight and tomorrow night is really on our attitude about it, okay? Because I firmly believe it's in the end, it's in your conscience, But I firmly believe that if you pursue God, if if you are close enough to God, uh, and your attitude is one to hallow God's name in everything you do, God will show you the way. And he will give you a way in clear conscience to do it. Bless you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. The story I told you of my renter was in, whatever, October, November. In January, he came to me and he said, Tim, he said, I know I'm not doing you right. I'm going to leave. <laughs> in our family, we've been praying like mad. I've been praying with my children. What message are you sending your children in your business decisions and your ethics? How can I get up and preach in front of my children? Love for one another. Doesn't matter what happens to me. We don't have to be rich. I don't have to have my money. But then go throw a runner out on his ear. Okay, I'm speaking out of my heart here. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not meaning to offend anybody here. I'm just saying, think through it. Not in a business sense. Not in a what's right for me sense. But in a sense of how can I hallow God's name through this. And I've heard many times it said back to me, I probably hear it 20 times a year. I don't know. It's probably greater than that. But if I do that, I can't be in business. I couldn't be in this business if that's the way I got to be. Then don't be in the business. We make our decisions based on, well, I guess it just has to happen. No, it doesn't have to happen. Maybe that's God's leading for you to do something else. I get so infuriated when I hear people come back with, well, there's no other way. 
Okay, that's rarely true. But if it is, don't do it. Why is that judgment? Why is that the answer, the solution to doing something that's against God? Or that doesn't hallow God's name? It's not. What's happened in our Anabaptist circles is business dictates what we do. Good business, making money, has more importance than how we hallow God's name. I hope this isn't you. I believe it's not you. But so many attitudes in our Anabaptist world stink. And the last year, it, it, be, it, it became very evident. And it became so evident, I got a bad attitude over it. Which wasn't right either. And I, I had to kneel down and, and look myself in, in the mirror and say, okay, how can you let something you see is wrong and a bad attitude you're doing the same thing, just in the opposite direction. But my issue is this. I'm not going to bring up the C word too much because I don't care what's, what it is, what side you're on or whatever, but I heard way too many Anabaptist people say, say things with attitude that ought not to have come out of a Christian's mouth. And it's amazing. I never thought in the 1980s when I, when I uh, joined uh, the Anabaptist circles, came into the Anabaptist circles, that I was joining a group that had such a high percentage of intellectuals. Because I found out in this last year that nearly every Amish and Mennonite person is a bona fide MD uh, or engineer. They know more about where, you know, biologic viruses come from and, and what can stop them or not stop them. Than, than the experts do. Do you hear any of those people? It's like, it's not our business. Hallow God's name. I wrote down some of these things, you know, the taxes, the rental house, the permits, you know, reason why we don't. Uh, easier to ask forgiveness than permission, convenience. It's more convenient that way. Uh, renter or whatever, uh, a mini barn owner that you're repoing, well, they're taking advantage of you. Um, so many things like that. And what it really boils down to is we're arrogant. We think we know better. And we won't swear to our own hurt. If it goes against us, we're going to cop an attitude about it. And I bring it up just because this last year has really showed what's already there. All right? I don't know how many times a year we get involved you know, and we're asking, okay, did you get this checked out? Did you get your proper permits? Did you do whatever? I heard one guy tell me he's building out, out west and uh, they, they was going to build a shop that he was going to live in. Okay? Have some living quarters in it. Okay? Not a bad idea. Rather than starting out big and fancy, uh, yeah, he's going to, I thought, good, hey, he's going to make do. He's going to have the shop there. Um, you know, maybe borrowed at one hand, he's going to have some living quarters. Great. Uh, what about your uh, septic permit? You know, I'm, you know, I'm not an expert in every county in the whole U.S. I said, uh, what do you got to do there? Oh, well, 
I didn't tell anybody, we're just going to run it into the manure pit. Uh, I said, is that legal? <laughs> I didn't really get an answer. I said, well, I said, I want something in writing that says that's okay. Well, what do you know? Of course, he came back and it wasn't legal. And, uh, but we will do that. I'm amazed at how many times, you know, Amish Mennonite people will just do, somehow they think that they're above the law. And actually, in some ways, or watch what I say here, sometimes it's, this bleeds over from our medical aid and our Social Security exempt and all that. We do these things outside of it, so we're not reportable to you. We're not responsible to you. Uh, and, and some of that has fed over into a lot of other things. We think we can just get away with it. Does that hallow God's name to that inspector, to those people in your county? Oh. Uh, our, our attitude. What is, what is our attitude here? Your response is going to come out of who you are. All right, so I know in a lot of cases like this, um, we get asked to go speak on stewardship you know, a lot. And I remember working on something like, hey, yeah, we're going to do some right here and write up. What is good stewardship? And what people want to do is they want you to sit here and list, well, if you do this, and you tie this amount, and you do this, and you do this, you're a good steward. And we want that, and it's out of a good, hey, I want to be a good steward, right? You all want to be a good steward. You all want to have good business ethics, right? But we're going at it backwards. And I hate it, this sounds like a broken record, but this is exactly what I preached up here two or three years ago. We do it with salvation, too. We want salvation spelled out in, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you're saved. But this, the same question is all the other way around. It comes out of who you actually are. Okay? Want to be a good steward? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I guarantee you will be a good steward. Want to have good business ethics? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and I guarantee you, you will have great godly business ethics. We want the thing and plug it in to tell me I'm this. Go follow God, and then you can look at, yeah, it's good to look at these things, but it's the check to see, oh, maybe I'm not as close to God as what I should be. May I ha maybe I haven't pursued God and, and, and sought after God like I should have in this area. Okay, it's that checkpoint. It's the same thing what you're doing in church, what you should be doing in church. You have guidelines, doesn't make you a good person, doesn't make you saved. They're the things just to check to see, as James says, that you have the right kind of faith. Okay? And that's the outlook here. Now, why do we have problems with these business ethics? What is it, where does it come from where we run, why are we tempted with it, I'm saying? I'm saying it right here, that I've been tempted with it. All right? I've struggled with it, and there's certain areas that I, that I know I do. But why? What is it in the human heart, what is it about us that we don't get that makes us struggle in these areas? Now I get to the fun part. Selfishness. Selfishness. Self. 
Anything else? Greed. Those things you're mentioning is the opposite of swearing to your own hurt, right? You don't want to be hurt. You want to get the upper hand. You want to have the advantage. Where does that come from? Turn to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning. As I said, my goal here was to at least prick your mind to get you to think. I can't tell you in what... Maybe how God is is working through me may be different than you. I may be at a different spot than you are. But I want you, you need to go think about these things yourself. And where do you got to go to help yourself think through these things? Anybody remember three main things that I shared with you a couple years ago? One of the, uh, who was it? Willie was, was telling me, he remembered, the one thing, bless you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Bless the Lord at all times. Bless you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. What's the second thing? And don't worry, I don't expect it. I've, I've spoken many, many places in my life, and, and I understand you don't remember long term. Hopefully it changed something within you. Hopefully it had some kind of impact, so I'm, I'm, don't blame you a bit. Uh, this isn't an ego trip. It, it, it's the opposite because I know nobody remembers, so it makes you look bad. Uh, know the text. You got to know the word. You got to know the text. Remember, that's what we did quite a bit here. Going into the word. What, what is it actually saying here? There's so much in this word. Yeah. What's the third thing before I get too far down the rabbit hole? Remember the Sabbath. Okay. Those three things are the answer to good business ethics. Imagine that. Know the text. How much have you learned since I was here? Amen. Bless you, O Lord our God. I hope you've just learned more and more and more. I can stand in front of you and honestly say I have learned so much since I was here. I'd love to spend a month with you guys. Oh, so many things God has led. There's so much here I never knew was there. And I'm just disappointed. I'm getting over 50, way behind Ben. But I, I'm still getting old. Uh, yeah, there's not, oh, but can't wait for the day. We're going to know it all. But Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Have, have you ever... There is so much here in the book of Genesis that, that we miss. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are kind of like God's introduction. All right? Let me, let me just, we got, how many days of creation are there? Six. Six, and then seventh day God rested. Is that the way you're looking at it? So kind of seven total, six days of creation, seventh day God rested. Are they in order? Are the six days of creation in order? Do they make sense? Do they make sense that they're in order? Okay? You say they make sense that they're in order, then why on day three 
Uh, do we have verse 11? And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so, and the earth brought forth grass, etc., etc. Then day four, and God said, Let there be lights, and we have the sun. What do plants take? What do they have to have to live? The sun. But the plants are created before the sun. How's that work? What's that? Right, and that's the only answer there. If you're looking at it that they're in order, the only answer is, well, we say, well, hey, God can do anything, and he can. He can make them survive, no problem. I believe that's true. But what if the point is they're not in order? What if it's not supposed to be, and, and I want to say this, bless Ken Ham for all the work he's done. Great work, I appreciate a lot of that. Uh, yeah, has, has, has really, you know, helped to spread the knowledge of creation and all that. Okay, I, I can... Good. But I don't think Genesis 1 is supposed to be a scientific dissertation. Now, I love science. I love things logical. I love it when things add up. That really works within my, in my brain. But what if it's not supposed to be? What is the point of these days of creation? And just to get you going, so you look at the three days. On the three days, he actually divides. We talk about creation, but actually in the three days, yes, he's, he's, he creates certain things. There's light and, and uh, the, the firmament in between uh, and, uh, and you know, dry land. All this comes in, but he's actually dividing. The dry land comes because he's dividing the, the uh, land particles from the water particles. Okay? So one, two, and three... He has these things. Look at 4, 5, and 6. The, the birds and the fish correlate to when he separated the, the waters above from the waters below and put the firmament in between. So you have birds filling the firmament and the fish filling the air. So day 4 corresponds to day 1. He fills it. He takes day 4 and fills what was done in day, th in day, day 1. In day 5, okay, he, he brings in then the plant life because in day two the dry land appeared so day day, uh, uh, day day five correlates to day two day six man and land animals there we go land animals go, go to day three when the dry land appeared there we go uh, and so you have one and one and four two and five three and six can't do my math so you, they correlate to each other so what's that leave Day seven. Okay, the point is this. In your Bible, how many of you ever heard of a chiasm? Nobody here has heard of a chiasm. Your Bible is full of chiasms. What is a chiasm? A chiasm is a literary technique that has, has uh, different points that correlate to each other to point to a central focus. So sometimes you'll see a lot of times your chiasms will go up to a main focal point and then recede. Or maybe it'll come parallel with something in the middle. Your Bible is chock full of them. And they're there for a reason. Because that's how God is teaching his message. So in Genesis chapter 1, what is the focal point of Genesis chapter 1? Just guess. Tell me. What? God? Okay, what about God specifically? In his actions he did in Genesis 1, what is the focal point? The seventh day, the rest. Everything points to rest. Okay? The message of the first creation here is rest. God's rest. Now, 
I have to contradict sometimes some of the AF seminars because we get real big on the creation mandate and we're to fill the earth and we're to you know, do all these things. And no, the focal point is God's rest. Okay, it comes to rest. Now look, look at this. We have, we have all the days of creation there. Uh, go to chapter 2. So we start chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had made. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now you're going to think this is really, you might start thinking this is kind of hokey pokey, but you, you have in Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2, we started, God started with nothing, Right? At the end here, in day seventh, he did what? He did nothing. The middle word in the Hebrew is actually the word for the Sabbath, the day of rest. Okay, it's in, it's in uh, when, when it has the sun and lights uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 14 there. Uh, is where the middle word in the Hebrew is. But anyhow, it's, in, it's, it's, a, it's a chiasm. There's chiasms all through here, there's actually a, a chiasm, and this was Rabbi David Foreman, is where, where I'm still trying to get through it. There's a, there's a chiasm in Exodus that has 250 parts that all parallel. Okay, I'm just throwing this out here because I want to jerk your mind. There is stuff under the surface in the Bible that we largely never get to, but we're missing a lot of the message that is there. Because think about this. This is what secular people have always said about the Bible. It's a remarkable piece of literary work, but it's interesting. You have the creation of the world, the creation of the world, the reason we all exist, the foundational most important thing in the existence of all things, the creation of the world, and how much space is devoted to it. Okay, think about it today. If all of a sudden somebody made another world next to the moon, how much print and online and, and news write-ups would there be? You would have a mass of stuff. I mean, Biden's dog dies and they write more about it than, than the, the God does here in the creation of the world, right? But what if what we're given has this footprint but there's actual multiple layers of, of intrigue and, and, and teaching in it in a depth. Think of a skyscraper. What do you do when you're running out of land in a big city? You build it vertically, not just space. And that's what's going on here in the scripture. Now, I just point that out because I want to get your mind thinking on a different level here. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2, and on the seventh day God ended his work. What did God do on the seventh day? No, he ended his work. If you ended a job on, you worked a job from Monday through Saturday, and you packed up and went home on Saturday night, would you say you ended the job on Sunday or on Saturday? Saturday. Yeah. But it says here, and on the seventh day, God ended his work. What did he actually rest from? And the issue is in the word for work there. Maybe let's just back up. Why did God end his work? 
What is this seventh day all about? And this is the answer to our question on business ethics. Why did God rest the seventh day? Seventh day. 
God rested. There was nothing there. It's just God rested from his creative flavors. He creates a time here. He creates space. By the way, it's interesting scientifically. What do they say about black holes? What does not exist in a black hole in the universe? There's no space for time. But the issue, so God created the space, he created time, he stopped creating. The message of Genesis 1 is, he is a God who knows when to stop creating. And this is hugely important. And we'll, we'll carry it over tomorrow. Look at chapter 2. When you look at chapter 2, this is to be your homework assignment then. Look at chapter 2 then. What does the Bible do? We just went through these days of creation and we get into the beginning of chapter 2, uh, and God rested, what does he go into in verse 4? The rest from chapter 2, verse 4 on down, what's your Bible say? What's your Bible talking about? It's a review. It's a review. It's just like creation all over again, isn't it? There's two stories of creation in your Bible. Did you know that? Why? You're looking at me, sorry. How many days of creation are there? Okay. Do you have your Bible? Genesis 2, uh, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Made the earth and heavens. Chapter 2, verse 4. You're wrong. It says, in the day. These are the generations of the heaven and the earth. And ask how heaven and earth has generations. That's a whole other story. Uh, but when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. The second version of creation is one day. Yay, yay. Somebody argue with me, please. Was time not established yet. <laughs> we had the other six days there, but you're, 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 you're warm. What is this in your homework assignment? Go, go home. I want you to come back tomorrow night and tell me what is the deal with the two different creations? What's the significance? What's going on? Why is it important? I'm going to tell you this. It's hugely important. And you know they're different. Read it. I, read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Read it out loud to your spouse or something. Read it out loud and you will see. You will Listen to yourself, and there, there is something that will happen phonetically as you read it. There, there's a word that changes between creation 1A, I like to call it, and 1B. That is the significance of why we have two stories of creation. And it has to do with then the significance of how do we deal with our business ethics. Okay? So go home, tell me, look at it. Tell me, what differences do you see between these two stories of creation? What is God trying to say here? Okay? I'm done. Before the kids come in.